Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon or good morning, wherever you might be, or evening, I suppose. Um, This is Bob Challenger, and I am one of the co-hosts of this program. Heidi Little um, will be calling in, I believe, as uh, someone who may want to ask some questions. (laughs) And uh, today's show is about a very amazing woman that I have met a number of times in the physical, as well as the uh, our, our Facebook activities. Her name is Mara, M-A-R-A, Leineberger, and she's an author, among other amazing things, for a book called Help, My Child Hates School. And um, so she's had many... Um, uh, professions in her life. Right now, she'll talk about this later, I, I hope. Um, she is the founder and, and principal consultant at Mindful Technology Consultants. She's an instructor at EduSpire, E-D-U-S-P-I-R-E, and she studied the superintendent's letter of eligibility at California University of Pennsylvania. And then she studied her educational doctorate in structural technology at Duquesne University. And she lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm going to see if I can figure out how to um, have her speak. Hi, Hi Mara. I'm here. I just, I, just, I just heard unmuted and I heard all those lovely things you said about me. You're very kind. Well, it's... It's it's very true too. Yeah. Well, those are all of you know those are credentials um, that you listed. Uh, I think I have a very different relationship with education than I used to, and the book that you mentioned that I just wrote is really a product of having been part of the big system of education for most of my adult life. Uh, having been a public school teacher and then working into administration, teacher professional development, um, I came to see that many, many of our children are not being served by this big system of education. And I decided to do something about it. So I wrote a book that's designed to help parents figure out what to do when your kid doesn't fit. And so the title, you know, your kid doesn't actually have to hate school in order for you to do something about it. But it's really, it's so, so important that our children today are not just left to flounder and and be discouraged and angry and and jaded by education if that's what's going on. Um, Talking with my, my book coach last week and she said to me, Mara, it's like, all of these entrepreneurs we work with, they <clears throat> work very hard to make money and to do to do work out in the world that is of benefit to all mankind. And they wouldn't leave their money to chance to the government to manage, and yet they're putting their children into government-run schools. Why is that? You need to address that with people and get them to start to wake up and question what they're doing. Why are we leaving our practically our probably our most 
precious resource is our children. You know, beyond any physical, tangible assets we have, any money we've accumulated or anything else we can do, our children are the single most precious resource we have. And so putting them into hands of people that we don't know much about or people who are not interested in helping our children find out why they're here and to help them grow and flourish as spiritual beings first, I'm, I'm not sure why we're doing that. So that's the big big problem I'm tackling today. Wow. Um, and your, your book is, um, among other things, uh, very detailed and informative, as well as humorous in places. So um, tell us a little bit about what you have is, as the main theme in, in your book, what helped my child age school. Thank you. Well, sure. I, um, I started out by really telling the reader about my own personal journey through education and beginning to write this book. I realized that I needed to go back and figure out my own personal relationship with education. Uh, and it's funny to say that because, you know, I, I don't think we ever really stop and reflect on, on, on things until we're, we're doing something like writing a book. So I went back and I got out my report cards. My dear mother had saved every one of my report cards, and she had kept this keepsake album that had many artifacts from my childhood education. Um, I looked back through those things and was actually surprised, you know, with as much education as I have. I have my doctorate. You mentioned that. I have my doctorate. I have my superintelligence, superintelligence yeah, <laughs> superintendent's letter, which means I'm qualified to run a school district in the state of Pennsylvania. So I have as much education as any one person could have. You know, in my mind, I thought, oh, I must have been a pretty good student, you know, right? Wouldn't you think that about yourself, Bob, if you had gotten all the way to the top of the big system of education? I imagine. I never really tried to go beyond uh, high school. So, uh, but, yeah. And I, I, so my, I have... my education comes from experience in life. Well, you know, when you are, are a believer in, in education as a system, you know, you kind of believe that you, you believe in it. And I, I, think, I think there was this part of me unknowingly um, didn't remember that I, that I had a love-hate relationship with education. When I looked at my report cards, it told the story of that. So my grades were kind of all over the place. And there was this running commentary in many of the report cards about the fact that I was a bit too social of a child and that I liked to visit with others and that I needed some work on self-control and, um, you know, personal discipline in the classroom. Really what that told me was um, I was wanting to communicate and collaborate with my classmates and that, you know, I was being placed at tables with other kids and my brain was saying to me, my heart was saying to me, talk to these kids. There's things to learn and do with them. But but then I was asked to be quiet and sit in my desk when I'm sitting next to other children my own age. And, and my, my brain and my heart was asking me to play with them and explore with them. So, um, you know, I began the book by sort of going back through that and realizing the things that I remember the most in my own education were places where I was given opportunities to be creative. Um, I had a teacher who read a, a full book to us that was all about, our, you know, enhancing our imaginations. And then I had a teacher who did full-blown um, uh, dramatic productions, and we created the set designs. Those were the things I remembered the most. Places where my creativity was enacted, I became aware of the fact that I was the very kid I was seeking to um, 
support and teach. I became a teacher really wanting education to be different than my experience. I was very fortunate to teach in an inner city school in Pittsburgh that was a magnet, so it was uh, it was a measure that was put in place to uh, desegregate the schools, so parents had to apply to have their children come to the school, and it began as a traditional academy, and while I was there, it became the Arts and Humanities Magnet School for the district. It was this magical place where kids were making art and music and doing dance and theater almost all of the time, and the kids were so engaged. It was really the school that I would have liked to have been in as a child, um, but I watched it begin to shift and change as curriculum became more important, as a new administrator came online and had a, you know, had a very different vision than the founding um, principal of that magnet school. Um, so I thought, you know, what do I do? I, I wasn't sure I could change things, so I decided to move on up, and I did that, and I tried my best to help change education from inside the system. Um, my last actual uh, position that I held was as a director of staff development technology integration, data and assessment for a large school district outside of Pittsburgh. And after a year in that job, I actually was downsized. I mean, it was this very bizarre thing for me to be given that much responsibility in a district and for me to then find out that my work was going to be placed out on the shoulders of other people. And, it, you know, it was already too much work for me. I It was so disheartening to see um, that happened, but it was a transformative opportunity for me. It got me to build my own consulting business. It got me to think about writing a book. It got me to think about what's not working in education and what can I actually do about it. And I found that I'm much more effective um, in bringing my skill sets to opportunities outside of the big system of education. And so right now I'm very much focused on um, kids who are a little more on the end of the gifted spectrum, so kids who um, have real passion, have ideas, perhaps want to become an entrepreneur, um, but also kids who have a sense of why they are here on this planet and how they can help to solve some of the big global problems that are burdening us. And I know that the listenership for this radio show are very much concerned about that kind of, of topic, the fact that there are so many global problems that need to be tended to. Um, I know Heidi is very much interested in that, and you are as well. So my tact is to take all of my knowledge that I've gathered and then put it to action behind creating new forms of education for these new kids who I believe hold some of the answers that we need to solve some of the big global crises we're facing. Wow. Well, you know, my experience in school, as I said, I only uh, went up to grade uh, 12 or 13. I think it was 13 in those days. And uh, didn't have any uh, desire. I hated it. I hated school, except the extracurricular activities, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, but they, uh, just it never appealed to me to continue learning things that didn't seem important to me, like the dates of wars and stuff like that. Well, yeah, so, that's, uh, that's the thing that, Bob, that, that makes me a little a little bit crazy at times is that I hear from so many adults, um, you know, my child, too bad that my kid doesn't like school. I didn't like it either, and that's it's, you just have to suck it up and do it. I'm like you. I don't think that that, I think we've all, people have agreed to that 
and and that is not necessarily a truth. I do not believe that we were put on this planet to do things that we hate and to just make you know bide our time until we can either get to the weekend or till we can hit retirement in order to enjoy our lives. And I now that I've written a book, now that I've formed my own business, I get a chance to meet people all day every day who are creating you know, really amazing opportunities for themselves and lives for themselves it does take courage and it does take work it takes real effort to create a business to build a business to find that that passion that's really yours and to figure out that that thing that you can bring to bear in the world that no one else can you know i believe that we all came here with a reason um and that you know every day we're developing a clarity around what it is that we can do to be of service to the planet you know many of us never figure that out but um you know i'm sort of on the path of wanting to meet families with kids who do have a sense of why they're here and what they want to work on and then to create ways in which the children can actually work on those big ideas all day every day instead of standard curriculum that's designed by someone else who may not know any of the particular gifts or skill sets that that the child has. Um, So for listeners out there, really what I'm looking at is flipping the model of education on its head. So starting with the things that kids are passionate about first and then having caring people who understand some things about curriculum, but but are providing support for children learning how to read and write and communicate effectively to do science and math, but in the context of big projects that kids are passionate about versus the other way around. Well, you know, um, I, I think that's um, the total appropriate uh, way to look at education, in my view. I'm not a professional in that field but I'm a keen observer. And uh, I have noticed, and that is what I told my children when they were young, I said, when you decide that you're going to go into the workplace, choose a job that you love doing, that you really have a passion for, and, uh, and follow it, because it won't be like work to you. It'll be fun for you, and you will excel at it. And um, anyway, they listen, and they're very successful. Yeah. Well, I think we need, Bob, we need more more parents like you who actually, first, you know, it's very difficult as a parent to allow your child to do something that you haven't gotten a chance to do yourself. So I've, I've worked with some parents around this notion of giving their children freedom to explore and learn it. And unless a parent has had a chance to do that, it's very difficult to give the, the child an opportunity. And I really think that comes down to, you know, their own inner child is resisting the fact that, that they didn't get the chance to do that. And so there has to be a little bit of healing around that first. It could come in the, the fate, you know, the form of actually doing some meditation to heal your inner child and make peace with the fact that you didn't get this opportunity, but that you saw that, that children deserve something different than what you had access to. The other way around it is to go and actually do that for yourself. Go and build a business or go and change careers. And like you said, go do the thing you love. You uh, remind me very much of Joseph Campbell's work. He was the one that, that coined the term, follow your bliss. And I remember when I heard that the first time, it just really rang true to me that that's what we need to be doing. We need to be, of course, we need to be working and we need to be giving our gifts out into the world. And we need to be generating money until we have a system a different system we need to earn money to to provide ourselves with shelter and food and livelihood um 
But we don't have to do things that we hate to do that. We can do things that we love and make money and earn a living and be joyful at all at the same time. Those things are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> well, I totally agree with you on that aspect. And, you know, uh, you, you are a person that I've been with who, like, who enjoys wherever, whatever you're doing and wherever you're with. You do live in joy. You're an inspiration to many, Myra. And, oh, um, thanks, Bob. Thank you. Well, I was. No, you. Won't. You know, this is not an original. It's not an original idea. I, we. This is the thing that happens, right? I wasn't that woman ten years ago. You know, I worked in a big system. I, I, I enjoyed my work. I will say, I actually loved being an inner city school teacher. So I don't want the listeners to to get me wrong. I loved that work, but as I was, as there were more restrictions and requirements placed upon me as an educator, I started to actually not love the work. I knew enough about myself and about the sacredness of teaching, especially teaching young children. I mean, they are so impressionable, and so much of how we see the world is created in the relationships that we have with our parents and with the re- in the relationships that we have with our teachers. And so I actually knew, as I started to get a little jaded and, a l- and not really enjoy teaching, that I needed to leave, that it, was, that it wasn't responsible for me to be there um, and, and generating anything other than a really loving, joyful atmosphere. And so I started to look in for what else I could do beyond teaching, knowing that it was my responsibility to not stay in the classroom if I couldn't love being there every day. And I actually couldn't because I was losing the ability and the freedom to do the things with kids that I – knew that I wanted to do, that I knew was what was best. So I was, I was, my ability to be the professional that I was trained to be was slipping away very rapidly. Um, but I still work with teachers and train teachers in the use of mindfulness, and a lot of that has to do with getting them to sort of wake up to the fact that the freedoms that they have are slipping away, but, but that, you know, the core precepts in mindfulness are that you come back to the breath. In every moment, Uh, the thing that helps you to stay balanced and to find joy is actually coming back to the breath and knowing that there is only this single moment, this right now moment, that anything else is a projection out into the future or a returning to images and ideas and, and experiences from the past. But that, you know, we really only ever live in the now and that the experience we have is dependent on how we focus our attention, whether we choose to see the positive aspects of the situation or we choose to dwell on, on the challenging parts of it. They're always, all the, they're always all there, but how we choose to focus our attention on the moment really has, has the most to do with our, our direct experience of the moment. Wow, and this is such a profound um, subject and so simple to talk about. I mean, how many of our mystics in the past reminded us of that fact? Be here now. Well, they, and yeah, live in Ram the Dass. That's that. That's yeah. Ram Dass was the teacher who coined that phrase. And yeah, I mean, I, you are very kind to to compliment my skills, but I am because they all were. They all were. I have had the great fortune of having some direct teaching of these concepts and then also because of my capacity and my veracity for reading and learning you know I've read lots of what the the ancient mystics have had to say about what life is really meant to be about and how to focus my attention and how to um, you know to bring joy into the moment so 
And it shows. Well, speak, okay, wait, speak, speaking of joy of the moment, I have to tell you just a little funny side story. I, I joined some friends for a pool party this afternoon. So I'm sitting okay. outside in this lovely yard. I've stepped away from the party, and, um, you know, I'm talking with you on this on this call. It's like such a blessing to be doing these two things at once, the technologies that allow me to do these. I didn't have to choose between being on this show with you today or spending time with friends. And just, just in that moment when I said it, somebody just came and put a beautiful margarita down in front of me quietly, very sacredly. I mean, this is the kind of life I want to live, right? You know, where I'm like, I'm, I'm interviewing on a show. I'm spending time with friends. They've given me space to have this call with you with no questions asked. And then somebody just came and set up this like sacred margarita down in front of me. And that's really what life should be about. <laughs> nice manifesting. <laughs> I think you know. It's. I think we need to remind ourselves um, that we are creating the life we experience in every way, and um, we get to choose how we want to live it. And this is what. Yeah, I mean. I believe, Mary, you want to get into the children to understand that. In fact, they probably will tell you that, the younger one. You know, that's what I'm <laughs> going to say, Bob. Um, the kids already know this. Go to any playground where children are yeah. playing together. And I, and it generally nowadays, you know, you actually have to look for the younger children. Unfortunately, you have to look at a child probably like five or younger. But yeah. they don't need anybody to teach them how to be in the present moment. And they know how to, they know how to feel their emotions fully. So when they're joyful, they are completely joyful. When they are angry, they are completely angry. But the thing that they do that we don't in general is they don't hang on to either one of them. That's a very Buddhistic um, teaching, yeah, by yeah. the way. It's the Equanimity is that you, know, you don't need it to be either the happiness or the sad, you know, you don't have to push away sadness and you don't have to chase after happiness. And children really live that way. I don't, I'm not sure why we've all decided it's okay to train that out of children and to train that out of ourselves. And then we go spend lots of money and read lots of books to learn how to get back to that again. That's kind of wow. silly, don't and you think? That, well, that is very profound. And I see Heidi has just joined us. Hi, Heidi. Yep. She'll be with us in a minute, I guess. So, um, so Bob, I did yeah. want to tell your listeners, yeah. yours and Heidi listeners, if anybody out there has a child in crisis that that needs a parent that needs some support in working through what you do when when the school that your child in is in is not a good fit. So your child maybe doesn't have to hate school, but if your child's in a setting that isn't that doesn't feel right, I mean school should feel good. School should be school should be joyful. Um, my book is available at no cost. I, I I'm happy to send out a PDF copy of the book. I actually have paperback copies right now that I can make available to your listeners, and all they really need to do is to send me an email. Um, is it okay to tell people what my email is? Oh, absolutely. Okay, they can contact me. It's my personal email address. So you just send me a, a little note and tell me your name. Tell me what it is that you need. Send me your uh, snail mail address if you want a, a paperback copy of the book. But my email address is M Lineberger, so M L I N A B E R G E R at gmail dot com. And uh, you know, in perpetuity. I know these these broadcasts stay out there for a long time, and I would be happy, no matter when it is, to get get people who need this book a copy of the book, either in PDF form or 
uh, paperback form, whichever it is, no matter when when you have the need. Okay, that's awesome. Um, now I see Heidi has joined the call from a different phone, um, but I can't seem to get her mic open or anyway, she's she's here. Maybe um, I'll hear from her later. So, um, okay, now um, I'm going to let you decide, Mara, um, how much information and how much time you want to spend from here because um, I realize you've uh, pulled yourself out of a situation with your friends to do this, and I want to give you the opportunity to decide how much to share uh, on this call. Is that okay? You know, yeah, I'm, I would be happy to keep talking as long as you feel like it's, it's useful. I don't think you've got any callers calling in to ask questions. That would be the best reason to continue to leave the call open. Um, right. The only other things that I think would be useful to talk about is uh, we, you got a chance to visit the Goodnight Child Empowerment Network in Beltsville, Maryland, and I thought it might be interesting to let listeners know that I'm engaged in building. No, I should I should switch the word from building. I use the word building simply because uh, most people can grasp the act. We are or grasp the act of building something, creating something. We are creating a micro school uh, that will be opening in the fall of 2018 at the Goodnight Child Empowerment Network's location in Beltsville, Maryland. And it's a it's a remarkable place. You and I both have had the chance to visit there. It's a place that was created by a number of people, but primarily Edward Jagan, um, to uh, its functioned as a museum, as a gathering space, as a sacred uh, gathering space as well. But they currently run a summer camp there for children. Um, that's really remarkable. It is all about the children directing their own learning. And the teachings that the adults do really only ever happen um, as a result of the needs of, of the children. So um, I love seeing the work that they do and how they support children to independently find their way, allowing kids to make you know, what we would call mistakes, um, allowing problems to arise, and then discussing with the children how we work through those things. Um, this, this site will become a learning center of sorts. Um, really, I think we're hoping to reshape the word school by having this be considered a school, but it is going to be a new model for how a group of really concerned, uh, awake spiritual parents with kids who have a, you know, a mission or want to have a mission. I mean, maybe a kid doesn't have, hasn't figured out exactly why they're here, but they have a feeling inside of them that they want to do something of use with their life. So we're going to create a series of these micro schools where kids all over the globe can actually begin to do that and interact with one another, tackle big global problems, um, and do it through learning by doing, you know, experiential learning, um, lots of time spent in the outdoors, lots of time tackling real-world global problems, uh, having a chance to, to interact with ex- experts globally on these topics, and to um, potentially even build some businesses to generate some revenue for their own tuition, for their schools, for their own livelihoods in the future. So those are some of the things we've got planned in Beltsville, Maryland. And if your listeners are interested in micro school building or they want to know more about the Goodnight Child Empowerment Network, um, happy to get all that information out to them as well. The school is, is, has tentatively been named the Legacy School, which I think is a really fantastic name 
for this location. Uh, it's a castle, and the uh, volunteer membership is a, a knighthood, so there's lots of, of those ancient, uh, I don't want to call them metaphors, ancient forms and, and ways of thinking are, are woven in and out of the whole space and place and will be a big part of the way that this school shapes up. Wow, so it sounds like um, this would be the ideal place to create a uh, um, a template to be used in other uh, areas that have the same vision. Yeah, that's actually what we are doing, Bob. Really good read of that. We do consider this to be a template. Um, you know, my goal is for it to always be open source, so... You know, anybody who wants to build their own school of this this variety could contact us um, and begin to work in collaboration. My goal is to connect together these schools using digital tools, using the Internet, um, and to have it be a global network of schools. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I had a chance to talk in Toronto, up in your neck of the woods, um, at a, a conference called the Archangel Summit, and I talked with the audience about the fact that my personal, current personal goal is in the next 20 years to open 100 of these micro schools globally. So it's a pr- I've set a pretty large task for myself wow. for this sort of yeah. what I call the second half of my working career. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a, yeah. It was, it's fabulous to have a goal like that. And I, I know from my business experience, we get better results when we do have a goal. Um, and even though it may have seemed that it's beyond our reach when we started, if we have the passion, we always get the ways to do it in ways we didn't expect. So, yeah, well, you know, the thing that I realized by setting that goal, Bob, was that, um, you know, if you do the math, in order to open 100 schools in the next 20 years, I have to help to help people to open. I need to be opening five per year. And I don't say I meaning yep. that I'm going to do it single handedly. This is, these are yeah, always yeah, yeah. going to be collaborations. But yeah. to, in order yeah. to and, do and, that, and, and, have the that... You, and the more you have, I mean, at the beginning, it would probably start off with, you know, five in the first year, but as the awareness about how effective these schools are, um, it, it may accelerate quickly. Uh, so that you spend That's what I think. Yeah, I have a feeling that that yeah, if we if we if we really are are uh, very mindful and we work together very uh, carefully this first year in making this first template school the very best that we can, that the the goal of five per year is more just an average than what we will really see. I think you're absolutely right. correct that as we move into years two or three or four or five. You know, there may yeah. be more and more coming online, and, and partners that we gain in the other schools will, will also become um, resources to helping the new schools come online. And I, because I think what will happen as well is that we will, um, we will be there to support our partners as they begin to build their own micro schools. So uh, it will be sure. collaborative from beginning to end. Yeah, yeah. And I should say that actually wow. the kids are, are a big part of this. We have two kids right now for sure that we've who have agreed, two 11-year-old children who have agreed to begin talking with us on a weekly basis about what's going on in their actual school settings at the moment, things that they love, things that they don't love, um, to help guide us in making sure that these schools are set with the very best of the, of the uh, plans for these kids in the fall. Wow, 
um, I mean, to me, that that is the key is to have them. Um, you, you work with them. You're not there to you know, be, be the traditional role of the person that tells the kids what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a chance to talk with a gentleman who was raised, born and raised in India and attended a very unique school where, um, and it was for very bright Indian children. Um, and those kids were, were pulled in a space and a place where they were never taught, if they were never allowed, I don't know, if I don't want to say allowed, I'm trying to think of the right word, but it, limit was not something that the kids were made all that aware of. Now, I want you to stop and think about what that would actually do for you. If you were not aware that there were things that you could not do, ask for, be, create. So these children were allowed to think about the things that they were, to be curious, to explore ideas. And the adults just, when they became aware of things that the kids were interested in, things just magically appeared for these children to work with. So... My friend Sam told me that he and a group of boys had decided that they wanted to build a nuclear-powered rocket ship. Yeah. And so the adults actually didn't say, you know, that's crazy, you can't do that, you, you know, only adults can do that. So many things that we, you know, we would normally hear most adults say. He and his classmates were told to begin to think about, okay, so, like, this is what you want to do. You're going to have to do investigations to figure out what do you need, how do you do that. And, and it was like every step that these kids took – then required, you know, six to eight to 12 months worth of learning. They would, they would uncover the fact that they had to learn, you know, physics and mathematics and they had to learn about, you know, nuclear reactions and stresses of metals and whatever. Now, I, I can't tell you whether they actually ever built an actual nuclear-powered rocket, but I know that they spent like three or four years um, figuring out how they would do it. Now, think about having a chance to grow up like that. I know Sam has become this incredibly wealthy, powerful um, computer engineer. And I think so much of that has actually to do with the fact that he was not shown limitation as a child. You know, what he wanted to explore was encouraged. So I really think that's the way to go. I don't think we're going to solve problems by forcing a whole bunch of content on kids. Uh, we're teaching them things no. of the past. I think it's time for let, to let them explore things that they want to know. If they need content that we already are aware of, then we provide that to them. We give them an opportunity to learn that, but only when they need it. Yeah. Um, wow. Now, um, it seems to me your book um, has a lot of these ideas in it. Yeah, the book doesn't have quite all the things that we talked about. The book is really a guidebook for parents with a child in crisis. You know, basically I wanted parents to realize that that a crisis point is actually a blessing in disguise, that it's an opportunity to see that something's not working um, and then, you know, very calmly to address, you know, how do I tend to this crisis in a way that, make right. things better for my child. So it's a guidebook to what to do when yep. school is not a fit so are for you, whatever uh, reasons. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Now, are you uh, planning to write a book about, uh, I guess, as you move forward with the legacy school about uh, um, how people can create one in their own community? 
Yeah, actually, really good question. That is my intention for my second book, is to sort of document the work we're doing this year and to codify some of the processes that we're using to make it, you know, as we work through the logistics that have to happen to make this school, you know, come alive, uh, we will document what we're doing and I will put it into book form and it will be of the same nature that this first book has been is that my intention is for it to be free for people who really need it. And I should say my book help my childhood school will, will be available in bookstores on May 1st of 2018. So it is going through the full publication process, but in this, in this, this year leading up to the actual publication and distribution in the broader uh, book buying sense, uh, you know, the book is available through me, you can buy it on Amazon, but, you know, I am happy to get it out to people at no cost to them. Because really, in the end, I wanted parents to have this this, this information, uh, really, no, no matter what, whether they had ability to pay for it or not. And the second book will, will, will function the same way, so... And that's, that's pretty much it. I, you know, that's 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 what I'm working on. I want to make the world a better place for kids, so I'm I'm using all of the knowledge that I have about the big system of education to create an alternative. You know, one that that matches the kind of education that I would have liked to have had as a child. And I will say to the listeners, it has taken me quite a while to get to the place where I can give today's child the thing that I was not given as a child. Um, it has taken a lot of soul searching and a lot of internal healing to make peace with the fact that my parents did the very best that they could for me based on who they were, how they were raised, what they believed. Um, it's my delight to be able to sort of go beyond that and, and give today's kids the things that they really need. Yeah, well, you know, that's what we all have to face uh, is, you know, our early programming uh, from our the ones we considered God, uh, parents, and uh, as we moved into society. Uh, but, uh, you know, over time, um, with uh, <laughs> a little uh, soul-searching about how to unblock whatever blocks you've created, was that uh, your, um, yeah, I think the kinds of things you're involved in, Mara, are, uh, I mean, how could there any, be anything more important to me about making sure the children we bring up are brought up in the best possible way that will help them be enjoy life, be creative, and 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 do well at things they they decide is is what they want to do. So I totally salute you for this. And uh, um, you know um, David Camp's program for the New Earth Bank and the Earth Dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm working with Heidi on this uh, as co-founders of this, and uh, we are looking for projects that need funding that will benefit humanity. So um, we'll be uh, talking more about that. We send them my way, because I'll tell you what, we, you know, to get this this first school off the ground and to get this this next book off the ground so that others yep. have a template for school building. Um, it's taking lots of time and energy. And right now, most of what I'm doing is pro bono, but you know, that's, that's what we were talking about earlier. It's like, it's work that yep. I love. The fact that I'm at a pool party on a Saturday afternoon, but my choice is to take time to talk to your listenership you know, I think hopefully that's a testament to people. Like, this is actually, I'm doing what I want to be doing right now. 
talking yeah. to you and sharing the message out into the world. You know, that's more important than any any time I could enjoy hanging out with my friends. You know, that yeah, will come well, later. I'm not giving it. I'm not giving it up. <laughs> I'm not. Gi- I'm not losing so, anything. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it sounds like uh, that party will continue for a little bit. If you got the nice weather we have up here in southern Ontario, it's magnificent. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful today. Yeah. It's, it, today being the first full day of fall. And um, my yeah. friends are getting ready to close their pool. I, it, we couldn't have had a more beautiful day to gather and to enjoy that last day, at, you know, of having a pool be open. So, um, wow. Yeah, wow. I, I'm so grateful so, um, to have had a chance to talk uh, with you. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say if there's anything else you care to share uh, about what's going on in your life that we could help you with, uh, please do so or uh, maybe... Uh, um, mention the best way for them to get a hold of you, either on Facebook or on your website. Sure. So, um, you know, my Facebook, I have a couple ways that you can get me there. You can just find my personal page, Marilina Berger is my name. So if you search in Facebook for that, you'll come up with my personal page. I also have a professional author page. Um, I do have a professional page for my business, Mindful Technology Consultants, which at this point in my life, I still do that work, but it is it is just my, my business name that supports all of the work that I do. Um, people can get a hold of me. I actually have a website for my book um, that I'm using. It's, it's marilinaberger.com, so it makes it super easy to find me that way. Um, there's a page there where you can click and ask me to send you a copy of the book. I gave out my email address, mlineberger at gmail.com. So lots of ways to get a hold of me. Um, I look forward to hearing from parents or entrepreneurial, mainly like really the, the person that I'm looking to work with right now is an entrepreneurial parent with kids who want to be an entrepreneur or have some cause that they're particularly concerned about and parents want their kids to figure out how to make that happen. Wow, that's wonderful. Well, um, I can't thank you enough, Mary. This has been a very enlightening um, discussion with you. And, thank um, you, Bob. Uh, I hope to uh, find a way to connect with you in the physical again like we did uh, in the past, you know, especially going back to the castle in, in, in Maryland. Just hold that interest so, well, in your heart, Bob, and I'm sure it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that is the way it works. Okay, thanks again, yep. Mara, and uh, okay. uh, this has been One Love Rising, and uh, uh, we expect to have some another great guest on for next Saturday as well. So thank you so much. Bye for now.